1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are a people who have a living hope in Jesus Christ. May the hope of Christ sustain, sustain us through our life as your elect people living in exile. And may your spirit fill us with joy. Even though we have not seen Christ, we love him and believe in him. And may your spirit overflow in our hearts a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I have watched The War by Ken Burns and Band of Brothers, uh, the miniseries, more times than I'd like to count, a number of times. I, I love watching them, and each and every time I am struck by the utter horror of war, the suffering, the destruction, the filth, the loss of life, the ability of human beings, one another, to, to inflict all of these things on each other. And I've often wondered, how would I respond in war? How would I, what would I turn to for hope? What would I hope for in the midst of misery and suffering and death? And one of the things I've noticed as I've watched this series a, a number of times in this film, uh, that many of the soldiers, they, they kept mementos of home to give them hope in the midst of war. So they would have letters from home, from family. They would have pictures of a wife or their children or a sweetheart. They would have a locket with a picture in it. They would have these different things that would point them to a hope that transcended the misery in which they found themselves. And they, they would hold on to these mementos and they would point them forward toward a home that they were hoping to return to. It gave them hope. It reminded them that there are horrors of this war, but they are only for a time. Beyond the war, there are lives to be lived and dreams to be pursued and families to build and joys to be experienced. 
These mementos reminded them of a hope that transcended the horror of war, and it gave them a hope in the midst of suffering that sustained them through misery. And this morning, Peter points us to a living hope, the hope of a salvation, the hope of an inheritance that awaits us and that is being kept by God for us. And God gives us this living hope in order to sustain us through the suffering of living as exiles in the world. It's a living hope that fills our hearts with joy during our time of exile because it points us forward to a time when our exile will come to an end. Main point of this message this morning is this. God points us to the riches of our future inheritance in order to give us hope in the midst of our present exile. God points us to the hope of a future inheritance in order to give us hope in the midst of present exile. First point is this living hope. So Peter begins by praising God for the living hope that God has given us. And this living hope is initiated in our lives by a work of God's Spirit, that we have been born again by the Spirit to a living hope. With this new life comes new hopes. And with this new life uh, comes the hope of the resurrection of Christ. In fact, this hope is rooted in the resurrection of Christ. So just as God brought the Son back to life, resurrected from the dead, by His Spirit He makes us alive and we are now born again to a new and living hope. Now, last week I mentioned that this new birth, when we are born again, we become citizens of a new kingdom. Our citizenship changes. And as God's people, we are now citizens of heaven. And in a similar way, when we're born again, we're not only new citizens of a new kingdom, we are also now initiated into the family of God. And like families on earth, families, uh, the family of God, the children of God, receive an inheritance from their father. So we're born again to a living hope. In verse 4, we're born again to an inheritance. Now this inheritance is eternal and it is cosmic in scope. We've not been born again to an earthly inheritance, money or houses or land that we can count in this life. We've been born to an inheritance in an eternal city of God. An inheritance that comes with all the blessings of that life. Mercy, forgiveness, a new heavens and a new earth, all things made new, sin done away with, and best of all, we get to dwell in the presence of God forever. In this future inheritance, it gives us hope because it anchors us in this life. It points us forward to something that transcends the suffering and the difficulties of this life. It gives us hope in the midst of our exile. And not only is this inheritance cosmic in scope, it's qualitatively different than any inheritance that we can have in this life. Think about the best earthly inheritance. At best, an inheritance that we have received, no matter how well managed, no matter how massive it is, it's always temporary. I could give you a billion dollars today, and at some point, you will have to give that up because you cannot take it with you. At the end of your life, that will be transferred to someone else. It is a temporary inheritance. And at worst, we can squander the inheritance that we receive, or we, if we even keep it, we hand it off to someone who eventually will squander it, and eventually this glorious inheritance that we received will be dissipated throughout generations that follow. The inheritance that God gives us is completely different, however. It's qualitatively different than the best inheritance because it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The inheritance that God gives us is imperishable, it's impervious to corruption. Unlike earthly treasures, it will never decay. Roth, rust and moth will not destroy it. 
It's undefiled. It's unpolluted by sin. So it's not gained through sinful means, nor can it be squandered through sinful means. And it, and it was brought into it. It's unfading. It will never lose its value and it will never lose its beauty. And wonderfully, not only is our inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, it can never be taken from us, nor can we squander it because God is keeping it for us. We'll often talk about how bonds held by the U.S. Treasury are the most secure investment that anyone can ever make. Why? Because they are backed by the security of the United States government. It's a, it's a secure investment, or it seems to be. But here's the reality. Nations, even nations as glorious as the United States, as powerful as the United States, will come and will go. They will rise and they will fall. There's no institution or government, no store of value, a currency, stock, bond, property, or precious metal that is eternal and absolutely secure. Every human institution fades. Every piece of property that we own is perishable. It will one day pass from this life to the next. There is nothing that we have in this life that will one day not fade. But our inheritance is kept in heaven by God for us. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's infallibly and securely kept for us by God. And not only is this inheritance secure, our right to inherit it is irrevocable. Earthly wills can be changed. You can be disinherited from your family, but we will never be disinherited from the family of God. Nor can we squander our inheritance, nor can we lose it because of this. Verse 5, we are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. So not only is God infallibly keeping this inheritance for us, he's keeping us so that we cannot squander this inheritance and he will preserve us so that one day he will give us what he has kept secure for us, that we might have it forever. One of my favorite sports to watch during the Summer Olympics is gymnastics. It never ceases to amaze me what these athletes are capable of. They're jumping, they're flying through the air, they're spinning, they're twisting, they're landing. And when they land, they oftentimes hop to the next thing that they're doing. It is incredible what they are doing, and it's seemingly effortless and seemingly without fear. And all of this culminates in this long-anticipated medal, the inheritance of an athlete who has worked tirelessly to perfect their craft. Yet if you watch some of the behind the scenes, or if you've been an athlete yourself, a gymnast yourself, you, you realize that with each new skill, with each new challenge and risk, there are plenty of safety measures employed to protect these athletes as they stretch themselves to move to the next level. They have bungee cords wrapped around them as they do these tricks. They have giant boxes filled with foam so that as they come out, if they fall, they're going to land on the, the softest of, of materials. They have coaches that are right there spotting them at the riskiest moment when they might injure themselves. There's someone there with a hand to make sure that they are secure. And every time I read verse 5, I have this image of God spotting us as we stretch our faith to grow throughout the Christian life. We are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Yes, there are challenges in this life. There are difficulties. Our, our faith will be stretched. Oftentimes it feels like it's being stretched to the point of breaking. But when we, are, when we are hanging on for dear life, God is always there guarding us. 
He's spotting us. He is protecting us, preserving us, and supporting us as we work to live by faith through the difficulties of this life. And he's protecting us, and he's preserving us so that he might deliver us to the ultimate glory that he's given us, an inheritance that he is keeping for us. So here's the challenge, the challenge for us. We have a superior inheritance. We have God's promise that he is protecting that inheritance and that he is protecting us. Yet so often we settle for an inferior inheritance. Riches that perish and fade. And even when these present riches, they fail us time and time again, so often we continue to turn to them in the hopes that someday they will deliver on the things we hope they will give us. And these riches, they're not just monetary. Think about the different hopes that we have in this life. We place our hope in the well-being of our children and their future. Hope in our marriages that they will make us happy and fulfilled. Hope in success at work, in friendships, in grades, in the acceptance letter from that college that we desperately think we must get into so that we can have the perfect career path. Our appearance, influence, ease, stability, our homes and how beautiful they are, affirmation from others, vindication that yes, we are right, and all the various worldly pleasures that this world can offer. But in God's economy, as good as many of these things are, they are perishable. They're fading. They're insufficient to sustain us in this life. And God calls us to set our hope on things that are far better, that are imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that point us to an eternal life that is being kept for us. When life goes sideways, God does not want us to place our hope infallible and imperishable things. He wants us to place our hope in an inheritance that can never be taken from us, that is perfect, that is being preserved, and he wants us to place our hope in him, the one who is preserving us for that inheritance. He he wants us to believe that we can trust in his promises and that ultimately we can trust in him. And here's why we need this hope. We need this hope because right now we are living as exiles. We're suffering. We're far from our homeland, and we need some sort of hope that can sustain us in this life. And it's the hope of this future inheritance that sustains us through all the suffering and the present suffering that is brought about through our exile. Our inheritance, although unseen, it fills our hearts with joy and longing that preserve us through this life. That brings me to point number two. Temporary suffering leads to deep Longing. Temporary suffering leads to deep longing. Verses 6 through 9 point us to the suffering of this life and how this suffering, when it's seen in the context of our hope, actually refines us. It produces in us a, a deeper faith and a deeper longing for Christ. Verse 6 In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So this, in this you rejoice, this is the inheritance that I've been talking about. We rejoice in our inheritance, though now for a little while, which means our entire life, sadly, for a little while, we are grieved by various trials. Now I want you to note that our rejoicing in this suffering, it's not found in some silver lining in this life. 
Have you ever noticed how when we deal with suffering, we often try and find some sort of earthly justification of why that suffering was worth it? Well, if I hadn't gone through that, then I wouldn't have gotten this. If I hadn't gone through this, then life wouldn't have turned out this way. And there is some truth to that. But each and every one of us will eventually encounter some sort of suffering in this life that simply doesn't have a silver lining. Where we can't look to something good that came out of the misery and the brokenness of this world. And so what Peter does is he raises our gaze from some sort of silver lining to something that is eternal, that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that can never change and can never be taken from us. He points us to a future hope in which we are to rejoice. And he, in verse 7, also points to a present transformation that takes place when we hold in tension our future hope and our current suffering. Verse 7 says, We rejoice in the midst of these trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we look for a silver lining and we can't find it, our suffering feels purposeless. Trials without some sort of purpose, they, they breed in us a cynicism, a bitterness, an anger. But God has purpose in our trials. Through the tension of hope and suffering, the trials of this life are meant to refine us. So think of it this way. Trials without hope, trials without a purpose. It's like uh, placing a log, a log of wood onto a fire. And when that fire burns it up, what happens? It's consumed. It's destroyed. There's nothing redemptive that comes out of that. But think of when you put precious metal into a fire. What happens? The heat brings out all of the impurities, and the thing that went into that fire actually comes out more precious and more refined having gone through that fiery trial. In a similar way, Peter compares the, the purification of gold to the purification of our faith. As our faith is tested by trials, the tension between hope and suffering, it produces a heat in our souls that purifies us through this difficulty. It purifies our faith. And this faith, Peter says, is more precious than gold because through faith uh, we are refined and we receive an inheritance that is far more precious than any metal that we can receive in this life. It's a hope of an inheritance that far exceeds any of the suffering that we face in this life. And it's this hope in our future salvation that reveals to the world the surpassing worth of Christ, resulting in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as our faith is purified, it produces something in us. It produces a longing. It produces a love for Christ. Verses 8 and 9 say it this way. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The difficulty for us is that when we face temptation, when we face trials of various kinds, we often turn to inferior hopes, inferior riches, and inferior inheritance that can never actually sustain us in our trials. In order to dull the pain of suffering, we settle. We settle for things that can dull the pain of this life. Rather than embracing suffering with joy, we mask our suffering through escape, money, pleasures, achievement, and relationships. Rather than living distinctly holy lives, we cave into the pressures of this world in order to alleviate the challenges of this world. But God has a different path 
for us. He knows that if we hold fast to the hope he offers, it will produce in us a longing for a future hope. It will produce in us a love for Christ that transcends our love of this world. And when we embrace our call to live as exiles, when we hold fast to that future hope rather than the pleasures of this life, we will stoke a hunger and a longing in our hearts for Christ and for our true home. When you were growing up and your mom was cooking a fabulous meal and she saw you getting into the pantry to get some sweets before dinner, what would she say to you? Don't eat now, you are going to spoil your dinner, ruin your appetite. When we settle for an inferior inheritance, it's like eating a fistful of Oreos right before you sit down to a glorious steak dinner. It spoils our appetite. But when we delay our gratification, when we, we sit on it, when we smell the smell of the food that we're about to eat, and yet we don't eat the Oreos, we wait Man, does that food taste so good. We've longed for it. We've anticipated it. We have lived with delayed gratification so that when the moment comes, the satisfaction is all the richer. For many of us, the most significant obstacle to cultivating a longing for Christ is the blessing of prosperity. Ironically, our prosperity, which is a gift from God, can oftentimes be the means through which we dull our affections for God. Rather than holding fast to a future hope in the midst of trials, delaying gratification, we turn to the present hope of our prosperity to shield us from our trials. We turn to the pleasures of this life, allowing them to dull our senses, to blind us to our true and living hope. Like eating Oreos before a steak dinner, we satisfy deep longings of our souls with inferior joys that only dull our souls to the true satisfaction that we can have in Christ. Friends, Christ is more satisfying than this world. The riches of this world, they're inferior, they're temporary, they're fleeting, they're a mirage. They're incapable of satisfying our deepest longings, no matter how many times we return to them. The pleasures of this world are not worth exchanging the glories of our inheritance in order to obtain. In these verses, Peter calls us to embrace the trials of this life. And in the midst of them, to place our faith and our hope in a future inheritance, not joys in this life. And as we do so, he knows that our faith will be purified and the longings of our hearts will deepen. As we delay earthly gratifications in order to have an eternal gratification, satisfaction, in Christ. And what that does is it births in us a love and a longing. Though we have not seen him, we love him. And though we do not now see him, we believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Brings us to our third point, final point, brief point. Suffering and subsequent Glory. There's one thing, there are a number of things in verses 10 through 12 that are worth our attention, but the main thing I want to draw your attention to is this, the shape of the Christian life revealed in the life of Christ. The pattern of the Christian life revealed in, in the life of Christ is suffering followed by glory. Christ's life is a picture of the life that each and every one of us are called to, a life of suffering as an exile while doing good, living in the hope of a future salvation which we will obtain in the life to come. Suffering followed by glory. 
We see this in the life of Christ as Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father, at the throne of grace, suffering with hope, hope followed by glory. Or as Peter says later in his letter in 2.21, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christ lived in the tension between present sufferings and a future inheritance. He lived by faith and a future hope. And it's through his suffering that we now have the riches that he's purchased for us. He now says that he is going to preserve us and keep us so that as we suffer like him, joining him in his suffering, he will preserve us so that we too might enjoy his subsequent glory. And so he calls us to join him in the sufferings of this life. They're temporary sufferings so that we might too enjoy the eternal glory that is his. Friends, we are elect exiles. And as elect exiles, we will be required to face moments and decisions like I mentioned last week. Moments and decisions that are hard, that are going to require us to live in light of a future inheritance. To forego present satisfaction for future, eternal, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading satisfaction in the life to come. And so let's live each day embracing that hope, facing down that fear that if we forego now, we will not have it later because God promises to us that he's trustworthy and true, that whatever you forego now will be repaid to you a hundredfold in satisfaction, goodness, and glory. That if we wait like Christ, we will pass through temporary sufferings and have an eternal weight of glory that awaits us in the life to come. Delayed gratification, suffering now for a future hope that can never be taken from us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us hope in the midst of suffering. Thank you that this life is not all that there is. That one day you will make all things new and make all things right. And Father, may we live in the hope of that day. May we embrace with humility and with courage the challenges of living this life now trusting that as we give ourselves to you, you will give yourself and an eternal inheritance to us in the life to come. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.